This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is my guest, Sorsha Riley, an Oakland native who works in litigation counseling. Sorry, litigation consulting. I don't think litigation counseling is a thing, although... It sounds amazing. Um, Outside the office, she's preparing for her MBA at INSED and procrastinates by playing top 40 hits on the violin. Sorsha, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I'm so sorry that I accidentally made it sound like you were a therapist for lawyers. I am a bit of a math therapist for lawyers. That's what they need. That sounds about right. Sure, that sounds entirely plausible. It's... um, Good to be back in the studio this week. I was out last week, and um, my good friend and former business partner, Nicole Cliff, took over for me because I was away in Texas getting top surgery, which was very, very exciting. And it is great to be back and, like, opening doors with my legs and um, trying to remind myself to do T-Rex arms because they tell you afterwards, like, you're not going to be in that much pain and you will want to use your arms before you can and you shouldn't do it. So I will periodically be about to pick something up and then be like, no, and fling it away from myself. Clasp your hands together all the time. I have I've been doing a lot of, like, weirdly sincere prayer hands to, like, catch myself from, like, grasping things. Um, it's very weird. I need to, like, write something down on my hands, like, stop picking stuff up. Just wear two small shirts so you can't move. Big mittens, something like that. Yeah. Um, But so that has been great. I'm very glad that um, I am back and upright and walking around and all sorts of good stuff. Um, So I am ready to dive in this week. I hope you're ready to dive in. I know you saw a bird eat another bird this morning. So you've you've had kind of a, a big day yourself. Yeah, bird eat bird world. Yeah, both of us are coming from stories of like blood and intensity. And I think that that's going to be a really good vibe to bring to some of these questions because they are just there's a lot going on. People are behaving themselves badly. Once again, I'm surprised to find that the last episode was not enough to fix everyone and there are still people misbehaving. So we're going to have to do it at least another week. I think we might. All right. Would uh, you mind reading our first letter? The subject of this one is board game bore. Dear Prudence, a few years ago, I started going to a weekly board game meetup near my apartment. Almost everyone has a drink or maybe two. Jason frequently has more than that. Considering that we're all chatting and playing Settlers of Catan in the middle of the day, when he gets drunk, it's noticeable. He also gets aggressive and loud. He's had to be told several times to be quiet, starts to take the games too seriously, and once he started teasing another friend and making fun of his cleft chin until I firmly told him to stop around three times. The other men at the table at the time seemed to think it was bro stuff and laughed it off, but I felt like the recipient was really embarrassed and the only other woman around seemed shocked. Recently, Jason had a bit too much and briefly put his hands in my hair while we were talking. Later, he started batting the drawstrings of my hoodie. Most of his behavior is supremely obnoxious, but not awful. I would prefer he not touch my hair or clothes again without asking, but I wasn't hugely bothered if it's a one-time thing and he doesn't do it again. Add it all up, this stuff gets to be a bit much, but I'm wondering if talking to my other friends about it 
and gauging how they feel about speaking to Jason about having fewer drinks might come off as overkill, since in and of themselves, a lot of the stuff seems small. I think we'd all have a better time if you were more sober, but I don't want to be a buzzkill. Sometimes it's good to be a buzzkill. I think you should almost always be a buzzkill. Also, I mean, let's be clear. Jason is the buzzkill. Yeah. Jason's not like a fun, entertaining, madcap sort of guy. He's day drinking and being a jerk. Yeah, Jason is the buzzkill. Um, and acknowledging that someone else is being the buzzkill is not in itself buzzkilling. Um, but unfortunately, as you yourself have noticed, the other guys in this group have been like, haha, just Jason being Jason when he's rude to strangers about their chins. That's fun and cool. While all the women are cringing and being like, why, why is he behaving like this? And why are none of the other guys acknowledging it in well, any way? He's not even being rude to strangers. He's being rude to another friend. He's being rude to someone that he knows and is willing to hurt their feelings. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's right. I, th- I read another friend as like the letter writer's friend. I'm but assuming of course, it's part of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's being a total asshole. Yeah, he's, he's bullying people. Yeah. So, um, you know, your plan of talking to your other friends, trying to gauge how they feel about speaking to Jason, uh, that is not overkill, that is frankly underkill. Um, you know, you are, you've already tried to talk to him in the moment and you've had at least temporary success, although it sounds like um, it took you three times to get him to stop teasing somebody about the shape of their chin. So that's not great. But yeah, absolutely. Go for that. Um, and don't apologize when you say that. Don't don't open with, I'm really sorry, or I'm probably overreacting, or maybe you haven't noticed this. Open with, so Jason's a real problem. I've noticed the following things. Have you noticed them too? Do they bother you as well? And I think when you actually, if you're, you know, feel comfortable addressing this to Jason directly without having other people intervene, his response is kind of a useful litmus test as to how any of this will go if he's really aggressive and negative towards changing his behavior. Right. Right. You know, you you say that there's some sort of awful line he hasn't yet yet crossed and you're sort of hopeful that he won't touch you again. But I think the thing with Jason is you don't know what he's going to do next because he gets drunk and unpredictable. And we know that when he gets drunk, it's not just that he gets sleepy. He gets irritable, rude, a little grabby, um, and he doesn't listen to people. So, you know, I, I think hoping that he never does that again I, I don't know that you can rely on that. Like, I don't think you can uh, trust him to just course correct on his own. I also wonder, I mean, it sounds as though everyone's drinking a little bit and he's drinking too much. It, would it be possible just to stop the drinking for a while rather than having him reduce his consumption? Just have one dry event one time and see what the response is like to that. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I could also see it be frustrating for other members of the group to say, like, I enjoy and can handle one drink. Um, and that's part of the fun. So you may not be able to get everyone on board with that. But um, yeah, it may be that you would like to try to organize like a women's meetup. Um, I know you say there's only one other woman there, but I can't imagine that you two are the only women who enjoy Settlers of Kitan in your entire city. Um, and uh, that might be fun at least to do for a little while. But yeah, absolutely. Um, say something, say something to Jason, say something to the other guys, let them know that like, it really bothers you when this happens um, and you'd appreciate a little help because so far you have been the only one to say anything um, and pay attention to their responses. Yeah. And I, I also think that how he treats other people is kind of in some ways their business to deal with. But when he's crossing boundaries with you and touching your hair and your body and you're uncomfortable, it is not a buzzkill to say that that is unacceptable and that will continue to be unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, what you said, I would prefer he not touch my hair or clothes again without asking. That is an incredibly reasonable statement. Um, and I think especially to say it in front of people, 
um, is really reasonable because if he if he tries to downplay it because the two of you are alone, um, just hearing you say out loud, hey, Jason, I don't want you to touch my hair and clothes without asking. It, it, it just kind of like removes his ability to deny or diminish what you're saying. Like, And if it doesn't, then you can anticipate everything else going poorly, too. Yeah. So, you know. I, I think your your plan is a good one. I think you can certainly add more to the plan. Um, I think Jason sounds like a real buzzkill who probably bothers almost everyone else there. But I'm sorry that everyone else has been sort of acting like nothing's happening. This is fine. Because so often in group dynamics, the most unreasonable person wins by virtue of the fact that most people don't like conflict. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of very conflict avoiding people at the table with him. Yeah. And it would be really easy for someone to just say, like, Jason, you're being a drunk asshole yet again. You need to knock it off. Some sort of board game bouncer. But good luck. Um, Jason sounds like a lot. Speaking of people who are a lot, this uh, we are escalating heavy on this next one. Going the family way. So the subject line of this next one is, should I give her a key? The answer to which, no, is my answer. I'm 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 going just with straight no, um, but it does include one of the most beautiful, like martyring lines I have ever heard. <laughs> like this woman could not possibly climb down from her cross because her cross is made of diamonds and set hundred of feet in the sky. Like it is, whoo! She is doing a lot. Dear Prudence, I'm currently in the process of building my first house down the street from my parents. The lot was a good deal just going to pause and say, yep. I don't think the deal was no, good enough. No, had a question about that. Yeah. Recently, my mom implied that she would like a key so that she and my dad could have access to my house in case of severe weather, since the foundation style of my house is sturdier than theirs and we live in the Midwest. When I let her know that I didn't want anyone else to have a key, she got really offended and said, fine, I guess I'll just be blown away since no one gives a shit about me anyways. Hearing this made me feel awful, but this is my first house, and I feel like if I have to give a key to anyone I don't want to, then it defeats the purpose of having my own house in the first place. This isn't the first time that she's used a guilt trip to get her own way, which usually works. I'm currently living with my parents to save up, and she's used guilt trips against me before. My sister and brother-in-law say that I should not give in to her. I feel like a horrible daughter for refusing, as she's not the type to snoop, but there have been instances when I'm in my room and she enters without knocking. Am I wrong? Or should I stick to my guns and refuse to give her a key? Don't give her a key. Please don't give her a key. I don't know, though. Because if it is actually legitimately a question of safety... Of course it's not a question of safety. Because if it was a question of safety, do you think she would have spent her whole life up until this moment with no backup plan? This woman has lived in Tornado Alley for years. That is very valid. And only today she started caring about severe weather. My whole argument was going to be weather, like being about weather and saying, I don't know. I'm not from the Midwest. We have earthquakes. I lived for nine years in suburban Illinois. Everyone's got a basement. I promise you this woman's mother has a basement and has had severe weather things that she's dealt with before. If your mom is worried about having a severe weather backup plan, encourage her to, like, contact the local fire department and ask for tips. See, I had this whole charitable thinking of, like, okay, it's a safety issue. Maybe your dad could have the key. Maybe you could have a two-plan system where she doesn't have the security It is a red herring. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You have changed my mind. You know, if it was like my parents' house has blown down in a tornado five times. But why are you building a house right next door? I I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, 
no, I, I think the safety thing is totally made up here. I do not give credence to it. Uh, and, and again, I think you can meet it. You don't have to like mock your mom's safety concerns. You can just say, mom, if you're concerned about a safety plan, get in touch with the fire department. Ask if there are updates that need to be made to your home and find out the local like safe place. You know, well, and parents use guilt trips because they work. So if you feel guilty about it, you brought which, you know, seems likely mm-hmm. it would maybe make sense to say, mom, if you feel endangered, I will help you think of a safety plan. Of course. Yeah. Put yourself out there as though it is a compromise rather than a. Yeah, absolutely. You can talk reasonably like I don't want to make it sound like it's ridiculous for your mom to be concerned about tornadoes. It's not. Um, It's ridiculous for her to suggest that the only solution to her fear of tornadoes is now that you're building a house for her to get a key. Well, also, if it's like a shelter in place tornado thing, presumably you will be home when that is happening and you could maybe permit her entry into your superior foundation. Right. Uh, You know, I mean, yeah, mom, if there's if there's a tornado, I will not turn you away at the door. Um, yeah, anyway, anyways, let's not spend too much time on that. The thing is, um, not, (laughs) are tornadoes a problem, which they are. The thing is like, also you say that your mom's not a snooper, but she snoops on you emotionally, like wild. Uh, and you also say that sometimes she comes into your room without knocking. So your mother does snoop. Your your mother does not actually have a good history of respecting your boundaries. There, if you give your mom a key, I can guarantee you she will come over to your house when you don't want her to and she will not leave. There isn't anything for her to snoop on right now because you live in her house. So she can go into your room whenever you're not there for all she wants. And she already goes in when you are there. Exactly. Which means that when you're not there, she probably goes in there more. Yeah. And don't get the sister and brother-in-law involved with the refusal and the key. Just refuse outright. I mean, I'm at least glad they're trying to back you up in terms of like when you say, what should I do? They're like, no, stick to your guns. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, the fact that your mother is successfully making you feel like a bad daughter is not reality. It just means that your mom knows what buttons to press. Um, and it sounds like she's done this a lot before. Um, you are not consigning her to die alone in the street when the next tornado comes. Um, the letter writer says parents. There are two parents. Or plural parents. Oh, yeah. It doesn't so sound like the dad the... is at all involved in this. Well, he, he can just, you know, tough it out in the tornado, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have some theories about ways in which the dad has sort of shut down um, around the mom's outrageous behavior. But that's just a theory. Yeah, I guess it's about the power dynamic might be in, in order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that you are living with your parents right now and are building your home down the street from them. Um, it's already a lot. If if you weren't already building the house, I would say, like, take the deal back and buy a house anywhere else. But what's done is done. But that does not mean that just because you live down the street means that you are going to have to have a relationship based on your mom's terms for the rest of your life. You should have no relationship based on anybody's unilateral terms ever. But Ooh, that's, that's an important one. Yeah. Mothers um, are hard. Yeah. So, you know, when your mom implies things um, and then makes dramatic statements about how she should die, um, that is a good opportunity for you to say, hey, mom, it sounds like something's really bothering you here. I'm absolutely willing to talk to you about concerns that you may have. Um, But when you hint at something that you want from me and then when you don't get it, threaten to die, it's hard for us to have a reasonable conversation. Let's try again. And if she can't do that, then you get to say, this is not a reasonable conversation. Let's talk about it later when you've been able to collect yourself. I think that's all true. I think on the off chance that we are just dead wrong and that she really isn't a snoop. She just happens to open a door sometimes and she genuinely is concerned about it, whatever. And it was totally reasonable to say nobody gives me that, gives a shit that, about me that, because I don't that, have a key. That would be the issue here, yeah. I think, is like the fact that she was implying, not saying outright she wanted a key, but then had a massive 
overreaction. It's, it's more about communication than anything else in this kind of situation. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate wanting to give a generous read to a letter when possible. I, I see no reason to be generous to this mother based on this letter. Um, I think that's a really lousy tactic for her to use, which is since I didn't get what I want in this conversation, nobody loves me. Um, and I want you to picture me dead in a gutter um, until you give me what I want. Yeah, everything that I thought about this letter, you basically knocked the legs out from under when you pointed out that if she was that concerned, she would have had a plan 10 years ago. So I have talked to manipulative people once or twice in my life. <laughs> usually the things that they claim to be concerned about, they're not actually concerned oh, about. Oh, shocking. Yeah, she is using tornadoes to get you to like behave. She is threatening you with tornadoes, which is kind of impressive. I um, like it. But yeah, if tornadoes are the real problem, fire department. Um the real problem is that she wants to continue living with you even after you move out of the house. Non-consensual living. Yeah, a non-consensual roommate, especially if she is your mother, is just not going to work. So one of the things that's going to be hard for you moving forward is you will need to figure out how to deal with feeling like you're a terrible daughter. Because I promise you with this mom, the more often you say no to her and the more often you set limits, the more often she's going to go back to that well of you're a horrible daughter. I'm an unloved mother. How sharper than a serpent's tooth is a thankless child. And so you're going to need to have a mental and emotional place you can go in those moments where you can pause and say, is what my mom's saying true? Is it based in reality? Is it an honest assessment of how I'm treating her right now? Or is it a manipulative tactic designed to get me to give in? And a good starting place for that might be your sister, who sounds like she knows the deal and doesn't sound like they live next door to your parents, so maybe she could be an asset in yeah. this gradual emotional distancing and boundary-setting procedure. Mm -hmm. I think so. All right, so the next one is a little less fraught, um, although it's certainly... Uh, Humanist versus capitalist is my read on this. I, I, I'm interested to hear more about this, but yeah, go ahead and read this one. Okay, so subject is Employee of the Month. Dear Prudence, Recently, an employee in my office got in trouble for lying on her timesheets. She was almost fired, but was suspended instead. She was good for a while. Now, however, while she does come in and leaves when she is supposed to, she often takes two-plus hour breaks. I can't even say it affects her work because she really doesn't actually have that much work to do. Frankly, she just steals a paycheck. That being said, she's been an employee here for at least 20 years, and she's not a bad person. I want to report her, but I'd feel terrible being the one responsible for her being fired. My colleagues feel the same way. Everyone is frustrated and also feels guilty. It's not right, though. This isn't an office that's flush with money. In fact, there are necessary positions currently unfilled because it's not in the budget. How do I handle this? So humanism versus capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. I think everyone should have a basic minimum income, and if they don't have to work that hard for it, well, that's society, you know, screwing up. Um, that being said, she's being underutilized, to use a very capitalist word here, and it is jeopardizing other people's work. I don't think that's ideal. Yeah, I think the thing that feels important to me is you say that there are necessary positions currently unfilled that aren't in the budget. And I think it can be tempting to think, well, I can identify a place where there's you know, money going to something that's not producing a lot of work. If she were to be fired, we could free that money up for elsewhere. But it sounds like the problem there really is that the higher ups at your office don't know how to budget appropriately. So even if this woman were fired, that problem I don't think would necessarily go away. It's entirely possible they would rehire for a position where there's honestly not enough work for the income and the problem continues with a different person. So... Uh, at least before 
contemplating reporting a fellow employee, which I'm there with you. I just feel like unless someone's doing something pretty unconscionable, uh, I would not be inclined to report somebody, especially if it's not affecting your own work. But to say, if I were to report her and she got fired and the bigger issue did not change, would I have just done something useful or uh, hurt an individual in order to um, help a company? Because I got to say, when it comes to choosing people over companies, pick the person. And, and, and Again, unless she was like harassing someone. Um, but I do wonder that if the roles that are being unfilled are causing other people to be unable to do the stuff that they need to do and jeopardizing their work, you would sort of wonder about that. It seems to me like the fact that she was accused of falsifying her timesheets sounds like she doesn't have enough to do, in mm-hmm. which case she might be in a situation where she had to falsify her timesheets to appear to be working. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly you don't you don't have to like go out of your way to pretend that she is a model employee. But ask yourself, how does this affect me? Um, not is the company being benefited as much as possible? Because I just feel like at the end of the day, giving a company your loyalty over other people is never going to result in anything good for you or other people. The company will never be grateful to you. Yeah. Um, the company will never look out for you the way a person might. It is understandably frustrating to if you are working hard to see another person who is not working of hard course. and is you know benefiting in ways that you think should be earned. But it's not really your job to adjudicate that. Right. I, I would say a couple of things. One is... Um, she's already in trouble for lying on her timesheets. She's been suspended. Um, she's continuing to like take breaks for hours at a time. Odds are good she is already being monitored by your supervisors. Like probably if all of you have noticed this and she's already gotten in trouble, um, somebody is paying attention to the fact that she's absent for hours at a time. Either she has cleared that with her boss and there's maybe just something you don't know, like a medical issue, in which case, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Um, or they will figure that out sooner or later. Like, I know she's been there for 20 years, but she just got in trouble now. And they're, it sounds like paying new attention to the issue. Somebody's somebody's looking. Um, and then the other thing is if, if you don't have enough um, help with the projects that you're working on, you could always say to your boss, hey, could, you know, could this woman help me out with it? I, I think she had some free time. So if this is affecting your work, ask her for some help. Ask your boss if she can help you out. Um, if it's not affecting your work and she's already gotten in trouble for it and you have no guarantee that the company would actually do a better job of planning its budget for the year, um, just don't look over at her desk. Focus on your own work. And maybe if you want to use it to your advantage during her two-hour break, she could bring you a snack or something. Yeah, ask her if she's going out on a coffee round to bring right. something back. It might be something exciting. Yeah, um, I think there's some opportunity here uh, for potential improvement, and there's also some opportunity here to um, choose people over a company yeah. and, and not worry about something that does not affect you directly, even though it might feel frustrating. Um, yeah. It's a bad system, you know? It is just a bad system. Agreed. I don't think there's a lot more there. Okay. All right. There is, however, a lot in this next one, and it sounds like you have some uh, personal uh, thoughts so mm-hmm. the subject line did, did i read the last one did you read the last one i read it this is you. fabulous thank you okay the subject line here is taking her name dear prudence i'm getting married and taking my fiance's name i'm a man my father was a piece of shit who beat my mother and me and made our lives a living hell until he took off when i was nine i want nothing to do with him also, my wife has a well-established professional career while I'm still working on my undergraduate degree. It makes sense for me to take her name. Why is it so hard for other people to accept this? My fiancé and I have been getting bizarre pushback from people we know. 
and not just from members of an older generation that might find our choice unusual. Fellow friends, younger co-workers, even members of my fiancé's extended family, not her immediate family. They're great. My fiancé gets ballbuster jokes, and I get quizzed about whether I'm being forced into this to, quote, make a feminist statement. Even my best friend, who kept her name when she got married, said our choice felt weird. What is wrong with people? This has gotten so common that it's starting to make me angry. I don't want to trot out the my dad was dirt story every time I talk about my wedding or have to listen to someone else's defense of the status quo. I've tried to make jokes about it being the year 2018 and that I'm happy not to have to, quote, buy my bride from her father. This upsets people. Can you help me out? Boy, can we. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, your personal experience. Well, so I am doing the same thing. My boyfriend is going to take my last name. My last name is actually my mother's last name, which I just legally changed away from my dad's last name for not quite as extreme reasons as these ones, but I think my mom's last name represents me more. My boyfriend is going to have that one, too. That's fabulous. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. We think it's a good name. We like it a lot. Um, however, we have had zero pushback from people and people are just very encouraging they say oh that's a nice sounding combination and blah blah blah, and that's it so that might just be living in the bay area i think we can kind of take it for that um i i did like the idea of getting frustrated so frustrated with gender norms that they start to make you angry as an adult i think that is you've had a nice few years of peace if you haven't been upset till now Mm -hmm. yeah if this is your first encounter um Being aware of sexism, congratulations. You made it a long way without running into any um, or without noticing any. Um, But, you know, the two questions that you asked were, why is it so hard for other people to accept this and what is wrong with people? Um, And the answer to both of those questions is um, sexism, misogyny. That's what that is. Yeah, Um, patriarchal dominance is the uh, underlying current here. And I don't think people realize that. Yeah, that is why an incredibly sensible, uh, mundane decision like taking your wife's last name is freaking some people out to such a degree that they're like, I can't leave the room until the combination of letters that comes after both of your names comes originally from a man. Um, And I I kind of understand your resistance to wanting to talk about your own father, um, because part of what that does is concede the argument, which Mm -hmm. is, well, obviously, if I'd had a good father, we could have done that. We would take my name. But because he was so bad at being a father, he forfeited his right to this cool patriarchal thing we get. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we're going with the woman's last name. Um, That would feel like conceding part of the argument, which you don't want to do. And I don't think you should have to do. Um, And I also see why the natural response would be to point out the counter, which is I'm refusing to buy my bride, that this is the opposite of something that was once very evil. Yeah, you know, um, I'm really sorry that so many of your friends have been not just quietly sexist, but loudly sexist and rude about this. Like, this is just rude. It's rude to comment on other people's decisions about changing their name. Um, And it's especially rude to imply that if a guy takes his wife's last name, it's because he's being forced into it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, you have some options here. If it's people that you're close with, there may be the potential for some... um, conversations and questions here like it's really obvious that you're having a powerful emotional reaction to this why do you think it bothers you Mm -hmm. so much that i'm taking my wife's name yeah i think the they didn't they don't like it when you mirror it back on them by saying i'm refusing to buy her but if you maybe mirror it back on them in a slightly more let's not say compassionate but just neutral neutral yeah yeah Yeah. you're not giving them a response um but get really used to uncomfortable silences say Mm -hmm. like hey it's it's obvious that this really upsets you why are you so upset by this 
because they're going to kind of sputter and be like, I'm not upset. I just think it's weird. And and anyone would think it was weird. And I'm not mad. You're mad. I've never been mad. And, you know, just kind of flipping out and, and let them let them really sit with their own discomfort and kind of face um, their own irrational behavior. Um, don't try to fix it for them. Don't try to hurry it up. Um, just kind of quietly and calmly say, yeah, this seems like it's really hard for you. I'm curious about why that is. I also think uh, take a minute to reflect on how grateful you are that your own family is really cool about it because just imagine having to fight it at home too. Yeah. And, and you know, your best friend, um, I, I think go back to her and say, why do you think our choice is weird? Well, why is it any more weird than keeping your name or yeah. if you had taken your husband's name? Like, what is yeah. what is the driving difference there? Right. And why did you feel the need to tell me that you thought it was weird? Like, I want you to know I, I found that hurtful and dismissive and sexist. Um, and if this is your best friend, if you say that calmly and, and with love, I hope that her response would be, shit, you're right. I'm really sorry. Well, and if she's unaccepting of the patriarchal norm enough to not take her husband or partner's last name, she might be an ally. She might be someone who you could actually convert to your side to talk about how you can deal with this yeah. because she probably knows the other people you're dealing with better than we two anonymous commentators really We could. are all, you know, capable of internalized sexism at any given moment. We're good um, at it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and certainly there's ways in which people can think like, oh, a woman keeping her name, that's kind of cool. But a man taking a woman's name, why he's giving up his manliness. And obviously no one would ever want to do that. Um and I think just with the the jokes or when people ask you if you're being forced, just go with, of course not. Why on earth would you say something like that? Um, like, don't laugh along with it. Don't try to, like, res- like, respond with a joke so that it just turns into this kind of, like, gritted teeth, um, you know, barbed, exchanging, uh, uncomfortable moment. Um, just give it no quarter. Just look at someone really seriously, get really calm and just say, of course not. Why would you say that? I, I hate to reveal that I read other uh, advice columnists. So do I. I know, but I've read Dear Abby since I was about 12. And she has one comeback that she asks people to use, which is when they say something kind of inappropriate or weird like that, which is, you know, deep breath, pause. How embarrassing for you to have asked that. Oh, that's a right? beautiful one. I love that Absolutely. one. That, I think this is a good, appropriate use of that. Like, I, 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 you must feel terrible having said that out loud. Yeah. Don't um, let them sweat. Yeah. Yeah. And that may not work on everybody. So, you know, read the room before you do that. If you think you're talking to the kind of person who would say, I don't feel terrible at all, um, then you might want another line. But yeah, um, generally speaking, if somebody like does this once and then you encourage them to rethink it and they keep bringing it up and they don't let it go, um, it's because you have done something that has challenged their worldview and their worldview is one in which, um, you know, like patriarchal domination is just unquestioned, unacknowledged, unassumed. It's a totally neutral choice. Everybody does it. It's the normal way of doing things. Um, and it really freaks them out when people stop. Yeah, these all seem like kind of fear-based responses, which... It's amazing. It's a collection of letters after your name, and mm-hmm. people are panicked. They are panicked. Names are totally invented, and they're basically gifts that you're given that you either keep or you don't. You are getting a, an a up-close and personal view of the absolute bananas logic of misogyny, which is, it doesn't make any sense. And the second you're like, hey, this doesn't make any sense, people are like, yes, does, stop yes, pulling stop. back hey, the cord. Hey. No, no, don't look behind that curtain. It's perfectly Ignore sensible. Ignore that man. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... You know, hopefully um, this will be a lovely litmus test for um, calmer, more thoughtful friends. Yeah. Um, And enjoy your new name. Yeah.
Yeah, congratulations. You're making a wonderful decision. I'm so glad you've found a wonderful fiance and that you don't have to deal with your terrible father's name anymore. Yeah. That's great. Don't carry it around with you. Yeah. This next letter is pretty intense and just a heads up to listeners. It, it discusses a person who's contemplating bariatric surgery and has dealt with a lot of really awful and fat phobic comments from family members. So just wanted to throw that out there because uh, some of the quotes are a little intense. But yeah, go ahead and go ahead and read that. All one. right. The subject line is didn't earn skinny. Dear Prudence, I'm morbidly obese. With two young children and two jobs and the regular stresses of modern life, I'm going to have bariatric surgery so I can be around longer and feel more energetic and in control. My family members are all very small, athletic people. Marathons, raw garlic, juicing, etc. What do I say to people who ask about what I assume will be a very obvious change in my weight? One sibling told me my fat is my neurosis on display for all. Another told me that if I lose weight due to surgery, I didn't, quote, earn it. My mom told me surgery is mutilation. Is there a good answer for people who will ask? Man, this one just kills me. Um, because you can see the like desperation in the letter writer to find a way to preserve these relationships where their, you know, humanity and physical autonomy are being questioned constantly and demeaned horribly. And this hope that maybe if I have a good answer, they will treat me like a person who deserves love and respect. Um, and I wish that there was, um, but I have to say what you have written about your family, um, sure makes it sound like there is no answer you could give that would be reasonable enough or thoughtful enough, um, or put things in the right context so that they would treat you the way they treat skinny people. I, I mean, I just think that this family has revealed their preferences and by saying stuff that, you know, saying that skinny is earned, they've demonstrated that they think it's a reward or a form of virtue signaling or something like that, which is just, it's not, it's totally unrelated. And if you're making a decision that is actually based on your health and you're talking about wanting to live longer and be around and feel better, they shouldn't be commingled. Right. I mean, I just got to say, like, even just opening your letter to me with this sort of like, here's all the reasons why I'm getting bariatric surgery. Um, and I just want you to know, letter writer, like, I, I trust you. Like, you you sound like a thoughtful person um, who has a lot of things in their life that they love and value. Um, I, I hope you've talked about this extensively with your doctor and gotten other medical opinions and that um, as you go through this process, you can ask all the questions you need to about the various risks and possible outcomes and that you get all the support that you need, um, whether or not you do decide to go ahead with that surgery, um, that you have support and input from the medical establishment. Um, that is my hope for you. Um, your question, which is, how do I talk to people about this, um, kind of implies, by the way, that you say, what do I say to people when they ask about what I assume will be an obvious change in my weight? And the implication there is, if my weight changes dramatically, um, other people will have the right to ask me questions about it. And I don't think that that is a premise that you should accept unquestioned. Yeah. Um, whether or not somebody gains or loses weight, you know, if you're not that person's doctor, if they have not invited you into having a conversation with them about it, um, you actually do not have the right um, to ask invasive personal questions simply because they have gained or lost an amount of weight um, any more than you would somebody whose weight had not changed to like collar them and say, hey, tell me about your diet. 
Do you, you know, have certain maladaptive coping strategies? Do you eat in a way that I would consider healthy? What does your doctor think about your size? Like, those are not appropriate questions, and you don't get to ask them of other people simply because they gain or lose weight. But we treat people's bodies as though they are totally fair for conversation and dissection and criticism and everything. And Especially so, when somebody is fat. Fat or female. Those are our two favorite yeah, I open mean, topics man, here. when you continue to combine various identities, it, it, it just gets more worse and more and entitlement. Worse. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just because your family has a history of saying horrible things to you on the basis of your size, um, there's a sense of, well, obviously people have the right to ask me a lot of questions if I let, gain or lose weight or, you know, they just don't. This is awful. This is just awful. It's and not that they don't have the right. They should not do it. I think there's a... a sense of moral obligation that's missing as well in that sense. Right. Um, and, and just the idea that somebody else could say, I know exactly what your neuroses are and where they live on your body. And I think that a helpful thing to do is to just name it to you. It's just deeply cruel, um, it, it, deeply cruel. And, and frankly, you know, if somebody is constantly running marathons and juicing and choking down a lot of raw garlic and fat shaming other people, I think that some of their neuroses are very much on display. Yeah, I was going to say that this actually doesn't sound like a, a healthy family in that sense, in terms of the physical health. If these are the extreme measures you're going to and the fat phobia and the hyper awareness of every form of body yeah. shaming. what they, they, they sound anxious, panicked and uh, fat phobic and unloving, um, which does not sound especially healthy to me. It might be athletic, um, but that is not the only component of health. So... You know, to to any family members who want to tell you what will or won't happen to you as a result of this surgery or what your fat does or doesn't represent, um, I think the only thing you need to say to them is, please don't comment on my body. And if they can't do that, then they can't be in a conversation with you. Like they, they just they need to be able to clear that bar. And if they can't do it, then they don't love you. I, I'm sorry, that's an intense thing to say. Then they are not willing to act lovingly towards you. Well, I think so often a way that bodies are controlled is under the guise of what is quote-unquote healthy, right? And if if bariatric surgery is something that a medical professional has advised you to do, it does not matter what your family is going to claim is healthy or what you should be doing because that's just another way to control people and that's the way we frequently control people is under the guise of, well, I'm concerned for your health. And I just like to be hearing on the one hand, your fat is your neuroses on display, but if you get this bariatric surgery, you don't, you know, then we're going to challenge and question that too. Like, what do these win. people want from you? No. Yeah. No, they want to control you and they want to feel superior. And they want you to feel bad all the time, no matter what your size is. Um, Can you get a new family? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to be like, I don't want to do a real cheap joke about like the only weight you need to lose here are your family members. Um, but I do hope very much that um, I don't know if you have a partner. Um, I don't know if you have friends in your life who are willing and able to help you question or challenge this fat phobia, um, if there's anything you could read that might be helpful. Um, but anything or anyone who will reflect to you that regardless of your size and regardless of what choices you do or don't make um, about this surgery, um, you are a worthwhile, um, loving, lovable, good person who deserves respect and to be treated well. Full stop. Full stop. And who has a place in the world um, regardless of what size you are, and that you deserve to take up space in public and in private, to be listened to, to be cared for, um, to be treated like anybody else. Like, that is just a bare bones. Like, 
bare minimum. And I, I think that the the explanation that the letter writer gives, just saying that they want to be around longer and feel more energetic and in control, those are extremely valid and unselfish reasons. If you want to be around for your children in the long run, those are very valid reasons to, to do something like this. Like, you, how much more of an answer do you need if you have to give an answer at all? I, I, and I just, I mean... I, if at all. I, I just don't trust that these people are trying to engage with you in good faith. Yeah, but we um, don't know who the potential sure. questioners could be, but... Sure. I, I, um, if a lot of people want to talk to you about your weight loss, um, if that is something that happens and you don't want to, and you don't even have to have like a, you just don't, ha- like maybe you just don't want to discuss it with a ton of people. That's fine. Um, all you need to say is, oh, thanks. I'd actually rather not discuss it. Let's talk about something else. Yep. Um, if you want to discuss it, if you're comfortable doing that with other people who are not your family members, maybe think through a sentence or two um, that just gives kind of like a, a bullet point list of what you have done. Um, and then, you know, think about whether or not you want to invite people to discuss it with you further. Um, and if you don't, um, what would be a way to kind of uh, put a period on it so that they knew that's all we're going to spend talking about this now. That's the only time we're going to spend talking about this. Let's move on. Um, but I I'm going to really advocate for even if you lose or gain a lot of weight, it does not give other people the right to ask you a bunch of invasive questions and you are fine just saying, oh, I'd rather not talk about it. Thank you so much. Have you seen The Meg, which is a new movie about uh, super sharks? Or like fill in with a new movie. You know, you can't always be talking about this movie. But um, yeah, your family's borked. Yeah, they need a little help. I think we we prescribe a lot of therapy on this podcast, and I think this is an incident where it is not the letter writer, but maybe the family who could do with some careful consideration of how they deal with their own neuroses. Yeah, yeah, and even for you, if you were to go see a therapist to find a fat positive one, um, and who would help you work through like how do you speak lovingly to yourself when this is the kind of language you presumably grew up hearing from your family members? Yeah, because for your mom to say surgery is mutilation, which by the way, people never say about kidney transplants or. Well, bikini waxes are mutilation. Everything's mutilation. Like what? And just the idea of saying that to somebody who is, um, yeah, it's it's a hell of a statement. Um, it's designed to prioritize certain types of bodies over others. Um, it's designed to like reinforce this idea that a person who is naturally thin um, has the only good kind of body. And that somebody who falls outside of that category is naturally bad. But if they take any steps like bariatric surgery, um, then they are now guilty of the sin of mutilation and so are just as bad. Um, it's it's fucked up. I, you know, That's people... a, it's a total straw man. It, it, it just seems like all of these responses come from a place of fear and loathing and probably a good amount of self-loathing. And... Yeah. You know, contact lenses change the shape of your eye. They mutilate your beautiful natural eye shape the tattoo ear piercing hair dye yeah all of it you know I, I i can certainly identify like having recently got surgery that some people sure enjoy calling mutilation like i hear you people people like saying stuff like that to sort of imply you should be ashamed of your body and the choices that you've made around it you took something good and you made something bad out of it um and, and i just hope that you which is not to like compare our two situations you know one for one but just um to let you know that is a, a a tactic people will often use to attempt to coerce other people out of making choices, and it's just not one you need to listen to. No, not the least. All right. Uh, this next one is also about food and assholes. I mean, people who are assholes, not 
you know, sorry. Anyways, the subject line is leftover food. Dear Prudence, my husband and I are actively involved in our community and sit on many boards. Our neighbor Nancy has been struggling ever since her husband drained their bank account and fled with his mistress. While we're not close, it's very easy to see she's having hard times. She's trying to feed her children and keep up appearances. I often host weekly luncheons and dinners at my home for various community associations. I often call Nancy over and give her the leftovers with the excuse that it's too much for my husband and I now that our boys are gone. It might just be cold cuts, cheese, and vegetables, but she has hungry kids to feed. She'll often give us fresh flowers from her garden in return. This has been going on for a while while my loudmouth sister, I'm sorry, this had been going on for a while until my loudmouth sister-in-law made a point to ask why Nancy was getting all the leftovers after a luncheon. Nancy looked like a deer caught in the headlights, so I said Nancy was the only one who wanted any, and I didn't want to waste food. My sister-in-law said she didn't feel like cooking today, so she went to my kitchen, got my Tupperware, and started shoveling food into her purse. She has since then viciously called dibs on any leftovers since and takes at least half. I don't know what to do. She sits on half the associations I host. I can't not invite her, and telling her the truth means that she will happily gossip about Nancy to any open ears she can find. Nancy will not discuss the issue with me, and I don't want to press her. What can I do here so I can stop my greedy sister-in-law and help Nancy without embarrassing her? Oh, I don't like the sister-in-law very I much. really don't like the sister-in-law. I, I was thinking about this the entire part right over here, just feeling rage. Yeah, because, I mean, if you see somebody taking leftovers and you loudly call attention to it and they look stricken, how do you not think, hmm. oh, God, what I just did was call attention to something that was meant to save somebody from public embarrassment? Yeah, no, you, you, she had, the letter writer was doing something that was very kind and face-saving, and it has been viciously torn apart. Um, I guess my first thought was, like, are there workarounds? Like, are there other people who are involved in these luncheons or these committees? Maybe the brother who is married to the sister-in-law, presumably, or other friends or anyone who does know about Nancy's situation who could be a helpful, you know, counterpoint to the sister-in-law rudely claiming things, but I think that's probably just wishful thinking on my part. Yeah, I think I think the letter writer, if if her assumption is that her sister-in-law would gossip, it's probably true. Mm-hmm. Right. Like generally speaking, if you're worried somebody will gossip, it's because you know that they would. So I think it's smart to say, OK, I'm not going to go to her and say, look, the reason that Nancy was taking the leftovers is because she's yeah. struggling since her husband left. So smart not to do that. Um, I think what I would probably do in this situation and this will be a little extra work, which is a little frustrating, but I think this is a really worthy cause um, and it's worth doing. And anything that will confuse and stymie your sister-in-law, I am here for, um, is when you are either having these events catered or preparing food or whatever before anyone gets there, um, you know, make a guess on how many leftovers there will be, you know, based on previous get together. Since you do this so often, I think you will probably have a really good sense of um, how much to set aside. Um, put it in Tupperwares and hide them, you know, put them in the fridge and like cover it with a paper bag, put it somewhere that your sister-in-law could not possibly spot it um, and start letting Nancy know, hey, come by around like three and I'll have it for you. Um, I already bagged it up. And then if your sister-in-law says, where are the leftovers? You can say, you know, I realized we've been having so many leftovers lately that I could just start uh, cooking a little less and that way we wouldn't run into that problem. So there are none. Sorry, Hepzibah. 
there are no leftovers. And if she's like, I didn't feel like cooking today, you can say something like, I'm so sorry to hear that. There's a Wendy's on your way home. You know? Yeah. Just sort of cheerfully like, oh, thank you, sister-in-law. You know, I hadn't realized how much food waste we were incurring. And now we can cut back. You've been inspired. I think setting food aside in advance is a good thought. I think we're we're thinking very within the bounds of the letter. Um, and if the letter writer has other things they could do to help Nancy, even if it's just inviting her and kids over to dinner or doing, you know, other small gestures that would be supportive in the same way, that that's a consideration because this sister-in-law sounds like a pain in the ass. Like it, I don't, I can't imagine it being easy to change this behavior that she has now established other than not providing leftovers. No, I, I think you're going to have to do the subterfuge kind of choice. Yeah. And um, I know that you say you're not especially close with Nancy, which frankly, like, just more kudos to you for doing something with somebody who's not even a friend, just that you see it and you're happy to look out. So it may not be possible that she wants to come over for supper all the time, but I do like that idea of just, you know, keeping your eyes peeled for other easy ways to help her with this sort of plausible deniability because... It is embarrassing to fall down an income bracket and to try to keep up appearances and take care of your kids um, when you're already dealing with a husband who fucked you over and left you. Yeah. Um, that's a lot to go through. And I think it's very kind of you to want to help her in a way that does not um, require her to acknowledge her reduced circumstances if she's clearly unable to. Yeah, I think that's really hard for people. So I'm I'm glad that, you know, fresh cut flowers is is the trade. I think that's a nice a nice gesture. Um, I'm kind of surprised that the sister-in-law doesn't feel as though she's embarrassing herself by doing this every time. She sounds like maybe a person who uh, never feels embarrassed. Yeah, that's a consideration. You know, she's described as loudmouth. The letter writer says, I know that if she knew somebody were, like, poor now, she'd happily gossip about it. Like, she's she would clearly find it fun. Those are good indicators. The other one that I think I should have paid attention to was the fact that she walked into her, her sister-in-law's kitchen and grabbed her her Tupperware. Yeah, yeah. Letter and, writer's Tupperware. Yeah, like, obviously, <laughs> I'm taking it. this now. Um, I would like her to hang out with the mom who's so afraid of tornadoes. Yes, I think the two of them would make along. a great team. Well, maybe all the people who are asking questions about the name change, we could just all have them in the same room. Um. Yeah, man. So just a couple of people I would like to mail to Jerk Island. Um. Yeah, and just for anybody else who's maybe not a jerk like the sister-in-law, but might see something that they did not understand at first and would think, ah, I'll loudly call attention to it. Wait like 10 seconds. 10 seconds and ask yourself, is it possible the explanation for whatever it is that I'm seeing might embarrass somebody unnecessarily? Um, and then, you know, once you've paused a little, maybe don't say it. Maybe don't ask that question. We haven't. We haven't done the charitable thing here of assuming there is a chance that the sister-in-law is claiming she doesn't want to cook and actually is having similar issues where maybe she needs leftovers. But yeah. she sounds like a jerk, so I think the most likely route is... Yeah, I think the issue is it, it, it's a much likelier explanation given the ideas about the gossiping. Yeah. Um, I also feel like the letter writer sounds fairly... Like she sees the sister-in-law pretty often and is also kind of observant. But of course, it's always possible that she's just hiding something really, really well. Um, but you don't know that. And you can't prioritize the faint possibility that she might be going through hard times with against the actual knowledge you have of Nancy's current um, reduced circumstances. So um, she also know. would be very capable. Of, it sounds as though she would be very capable of asking for help if she needed it. Whereas Nancy is neither asking for help nor particularly interested in visible charity yeah so um you know yeah bundle the leftovers up early 
stash them somewhere that your sister-in-law can't see them. Lie if she asks you outright um, and then call Nancy over later um, once everyone else is gone and keep your trades going. And I hope that you get to do this for years and that your sister-in-law never finds out. I hope that Nancy doesn't need it for years. Oh, yeah. That's actually (laughs) also a much better option. (laughs) I was so just like tunnel vision about my dislike for the sister-in-law that I forgot to just wish someone's good. I hope people steal the sister-in-law's Tupperware forever. Oh, yeah. I hope she can never find the lid for the Tupperware she's using. She uses foil, but then it 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 tips out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a just punishment. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much. We didn't even get to get into, you know, litigation consulting. Do you have any legal advice for anyone? Just blanket legal advice you'd like to offer? Uh, no, because I consult on math. I do math for lawyers. And that's if, if you're going to ask them a tough question, uh-huh. they're going to come to me. OK, great. So. so sorry, everyone. Your legal problems are going to need to have more math before we're going to be able to help you. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show and just, you know, cleaving through all these difficult issues with the shining sword of truth and justice. It was great fun and I'm glad to have done it. I'm so glad that you were here. Well, before we all head out, I wanted to give a little bit of extra advice passed upon or passed along to me from a listener. Um, This is uh, from a couple of weeks ago, the letter writer who was living um, with a guy who had previously called the police um, and was behaving sometimes uh, potentially violently and really irrationally. And it was at a point where the letter writer was kind of afraid to leave their room. Um, And the guy was moving out in a couple of weeks, but the letter writer was kind of wondering what to do in the meantime. We had a couple of suggestions um, and then a friend of a friend uh, wrote in and suggested something else. Um, They said, I just want to suggest that A, uh, they pick up some bottled water and nutritional, ideally high protein, non-perishable food. Think nuts, protein bars, dried fruit, whatever else. Um, That way, if they do feel trapped in their room, afraid to leave for long stretches of time, they don't dehydrate or go hungry. Um, And then B, I think that with somebody that unpredictable in a situation where the letter writer is afraid to call the police, a check-in plan could be really important. So that somebody who does not live there who might be willing to call the police if necessary, if they haven't heard from them by a certain time on a daily basis or every other day or whatever schedule works might be something worth considering. Um, So that was some helpful practical advice. Hopefully at this point, the letter writer is already safely no longer living with that person. But in case that has continued to spin out, um, that might be helpful. Or to anybody else who is trying to run up the clock on a really difficult lease, um, I hope some of those tips prove helpful. Yeah, if that letter writer listens, I really hope that they will let us know. Yeah, snacks and check-in plans. Sometimes uh, they're what you need. Yep. All right, thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Welcome, Phil. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.